You've all heard about this little thing called climate change, right? It's something that's been in the conversation for decades, but more and more, picture of how our actions are permanently damaging the environment is becoming clearer. It affects us all in different ways. Some people, it's a thought of the back of their mind whenever they see Extinction Rebellion on the news or realise they can't recycle that plastic bottle. For some people, they're on the front line and it's causing them severe anxiety. But the likelihood is, it's affecting us all in ways we might not even recognise. So recently, we decided to explore a slightly different side of the climate change conversation. Not the effects on the planet, but the effect it's having on us. Today, we're joined by a climate change coach, Charlie Cox. Uh, I've been a coach about seven years and I've mostly been working in and around social justice. Though I also did a huge amount of corporate coaching and I tended to always attract the person that had those deep values about equality. And the environment felt like someone else's job. I just didn't see it as my, as my thing. I saw it as something that experts had to do. And then like, three years ago, I had a baby. I started to read about climate change and I was terrified by what I found. Initially, I thought, right, I'm gonna have to stop being a coach then I'm gonna have to go and retrain as a climate scientist because that's the only way to do something right. And eventually, uh, somebody just said one day, this is a consumption problem. And as soon as they said that, it was like a eureka that actually this was a human behavior problem. And if it was a behavior problem, not an environmental problem, uh, then actually I didn't need to stop being a coach. I very much needed to be a coach. And so that's that's when I started thinking, well, how could we bring the, the, the philosophy and the skills of coaching into this space and thinking about the psycholo- psychological dimension of climate change? And our very own Sanctus coach, Amanda Devine. I'm really passionate about mental health with climate change. I guess I got passionate about it probably after I got ill with cancer and it became really important to me about what I was putting into my body, how I was, how I was living my life. And I've known Charlie for a very long time. She called me up one night and just said, you know, we're, I'm thinking of putting this group of coaches together for a zero waste market and to see how it goes down. And um, yeah, we've been working on climate change coaching Mm. ever since. We sat down to discuss our own experiences of conversations around climate change and how we might be able to make this a uniting rather than a dividing topic. I, I battle every day between this, am I doing enough versus what am I doing? Mm. So I'm stuck a lot of the time in shaming myself, feeling guilty you know, I'm, I work for Sanctus and I work for climate change coaches and yet I live in Barcelona. So I travel back to London and I take flights and I had a health issue and it required me to drink bottled water. And I still do that occasionally, you know. So I, I battle a lot with the shame and the guilt and I find that's true of a lot of people I speak to. Yeah, even as you're saying that, I'm thinking about my own kind of response to climate change as well. And yeah, I have to feel so guilty, mm. so guilty and so conflicted with mm. choices I have to make. And, you know, oh, buying organic and then there's kind of a financial yeah. implication to that. Or, you know, yeah. choosing to go to the small independent market rather than the big supermarkets where everything's mm. in plastic, you know. And just so uncertain. Yeah. Like, so much, there is so much data out there and there's so much information but it's, there's, there's a degree of feeling so uncertain about that because it, it's just so overwhelming. There's yeah. so much of it. Where do I start? How do I get into this? And um, 
you start going into this feeling, um, definitely for me as well, and people I've encountered, is am I enough? Yeah. Do I know enough? You know, it's that it's that feeling of there's a lack of self worth and self confidence on the topic and in the the field of kind of climate change. You know, who am I to be to be here? You know, what can I do? What mm. do I know? Yeah, I'm even thinking about you know, it's starting to be something I'm more conscious of, especially. And we did a plastic free challenge amongst yeah. the team, and it made me so aware of how much plastic I used. And you know, part of me wanted to get on my soapbox a bit, and you know, sort of say to people like, "Do you realise like all this stuff just gets thrown away? It lives for years and years and years, you know, generations before it disappears." But yeah, there was that almost hesitation of like, "Oh, do I really like?" Yeah. Now enough, do I have the authority mm, to be yeah. talking to the people that are in my life about, you know, changes they could make yeah. as well? And so that's when the uh, sort of another penny drop moment for us was realising that it wasn't just that we could coach people in this space. Mm. It was that a coaching approach could be useful because I've certainly every time I have conversations with family members, I fall into a telling approach, which is like, don't you know, you know, you sort <laughs> yeah. of want to grab them by the lapels and shake them. And um, that doesn't change anybody. You know, if everyone anyone ever does that to me, I want to kind of, you know, do the opposite. Do often. the opposite. <laughs> exactly. So but actually, you know, that kind of that what we were, you were, we're advocating in that telling approach is like a one size fits all. Mm. And actually a, a coaching approach is more like, well, what would you like to do? What fits with your values? And it's much more asking questions than sort of being dogmatic and you know there are occasions when a telling or a teaching approach is a good idea but that's usually when someone's asked to be taught Mm. and nine times out of ten in those Mm. conversations they have not so I think it's the other emotion that I think comes up a lot is scarcity Mm. and um, certainly we we feel I've felt that and we've worked with a lot of people who've said but we don't have time for this coaching approach this nicey nice you know, mm. being very friendly and sweet. And we can prove in our training sessions that you need five minutes. Mm. And, you know, but it's about actually talking less and asking more mm. and getting people to feel like it's okay to say, I took, I took a flight, is that all right? Mm. Um, and realising that it's... It, you, I think there's been a massive piece of education missing in all of our lives around environment. It's a building block that was never taught to us at school in anything like the way it should have been. So it feels like something experts have to do. Mm. And we, we are trying to get coaches to move into this space as well as um, teaching practitioners coaching skills. And we, we meet coaches who have backgrounds mm. in environmental science yeah. and who say to us, I don't know enough about climate change. Mm. And you think, wow, if you don't know enough, mm. you know, and actually you don't need to know enough. You need to be, you need to be a great coach, but you also need to be a human being who mm. lives in the world yeah. and use your skills somehow. And so that was sort of our, yeah. our kind of come from place, I think. But certainly we have overwhelming days and we have, are we doing enough days? And I mean, with the Amazon fires recently, I just had to step out for three days and completely forget everything that we do in our day jobs. Mm. Um, and it, it was, it felt like we weren't, weren't moving fast enough or, you know, really mm. scarcity got hold of me. And um, I think we, you know, we, we have to think about our own self-care in all of this and how how all the people that are trying to work in this look after themselves. Yeah, because it sounds like a lot of it's about, yeah, this overwhelm and you talk about scarcity, that feeling of, you know, is what I do enough? And actually the things that seem obvious changes to make, it might just be like, I can't do that. Like, mm. I can't make those yeah. changes to my life. But mm. it doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything and actually being more curious and figuring mm. out, okay, well, what small changes could I make if this is something that I want to 
you know, get involved with and try and have an impact on, that can actually be really helpful. My understanding of, of you know, what Sanctus wants to do and, and what I would obviously done in mental health is that it becomes completely normalised mm. to talk about mental ill health uh, and to talk about mental health generally that people don't feel stigmatised in any way. Mm. And we want the exact same thing in climate change. You know, I would love us to be having this conversation in just a couple of years' time and people to just be able to normally talk about this in the streets mm. without feeling blame, without feeling mm. shame. Yeah. Because right now, I mean, one of the early experiences I had was being at a dinner party with a bunch of people from across the political spectrum talking about Brexit, which is pretty hot as a potato. And at some point I said, my worry is this is distracting us from climate change. And it was like I'd said, I, I have a mental illness or I have a gambling addiction or mm. something that would attract a real charge. And everyone looked at the ceiling and looked at their feet. And I thought, wow, you know, yeah. we, we can have that conversation. We can't have this one. And I would love us to be able to get to the place where we can just normally talk about what we're doing and not feel like we don't know enough we're not enough we're not you know yeah. um, changing enough. a scary topic to address or something like that because yeah as you mm-hmm. said that I was thinking of you know the parallels of like I know a lot of people say you know they don't work on the mental health for example because they're like oh it's not that bad you mm-hmm. know like I'm not really like yeah. struggling that much it's okay I'll get through it and there's almost that thing of like imposter syndrome like I hear a lot of you know people in my life say that it's almost like not bad enough for them to do anything about it so I always wonder if that's being mirrored in the way we talk about climate change you know the situation is actually very dire and we do need to act now but perhaps in the day-to-day it might feel like it's not so there's almost not enough kind of in your face to do something about it and I'm thinking yeah that kind of mirrors how um, we speak about mental health a lot of the time you know until something's really bad we don't start to make changes whereas actually the way we talk about mental health is in much more of a preventative sense you know it's the small changes you make every day that hopefully add up to a much better outcome and it sounds like that kind of approach to climate change could also be really helpful not just for us but for the planet as well because what you're doing is you're changing the system at the same time that you're creating individual action and that's exactly what needs to happen in Mm -hmm. the environment as well so every one of those people that is making a, a positive change for themselves is boosting their sense of positivity and and um and capability and uh, at the same time presumably they're talking about it they're they're getting their employers on board they're mm. talking about it openly in their communities and that starts to shift the whole system yeah. and so it's got to be the mix of the two certainly mm. in order to for example like decarbonize the climate you know individuals are not going to be able to do that on their own there has to be big systems change yes you trying to reduce plastic is brilliant but how hard do you find it because the system wasn't helping you it's so true but every time somebody brings up their supermarket and says why have you got so much plastic that becomes trend data that changes the way the supermarket behaves yeah and every time someone says to their employer why don't you have a sanctus coach in here that changes employment that changes companies and their systems yeah it becomes oh hr saying we've had now five people asking for this so we need to recognize our role and our voice as individuals if you like mm. but all of these sort of taboo subjects share a common emotional component and that's a bit we're fascinated with yeah. because we're essentially very nosy people <laughs> i think it's incredibly isolating as well for the reason that it's it's very much in the system at the, at the moment as it being a battle Mm. So we're coming from a place of fighting rather than a place of love. Mm. You know, we've moved from a heart space into a mind space. We've moved from our love of the environment to, oh God, we've got to survive. We've got to protect ourselves. We've got to win this fight. And that 
that can be incredibly that can take us into a place of not feeling enough not feeling worthy not feeling resourceful or capable enough and thinking about you guys kind of personally as well what sort of things does climate change bring up for you i mean it, we've talked there about you know the sense of sometimes um, almost like imposter syndrome like i can't do enough or mm. you know perhaps a sense of overwhelm with the amount of information out there but yeah for you guys what do you notice with your own responses to it it's incredibly hard to move through any given week um keeping kind of stability and balance in my body or in my mind mentally you know I have to personally stay away from a lot of climate media, mm-hmm. which is bad in one sense because I don't. I then go into a space of I don't know enough. I'm not clued up. Yeah. Um, but it, it safeguards me because otherwise I just go into a, a place of grief, and you know when you're already moving through difficult. You know, life's hard enough. We all have experiences and we all have situations that we're going through. And for me right now, I definitely have to stay away from a lot of the media, um, a lot of the heightened stuff, just so I can keep some some sense of stability and par- um, balance and peace. But I also notice what comes up in me is <laughs> this desire to be a bit of an activist it's contradictory as well because um so i went on an extinction rebellion march because i thought a i don't i've never been on a protest in my life um b i'm interested in this thing called climate change but i i don't know who these other people are mm-hmm. other than the people that i know and i've you know surrounded myself with but what is the community that is involved in climate change that has a bigger seat i.e. those people who aren't like me like where can i step outside of my comfort zone mm. because there's a lot of um we make up a lot of stories about who climate change activists are yeah so i went to a march and well quite frankly I missed the march because I chose the last day to go on it and it was very much party time anyway um but it was really interesting to walk around and to to push myself out of my comfort zone and to experience the atmosphere um to talk to different people about it um but what it did bring up for me was oh are these my people I think sometimes with people it can bring up that I don't want to get involved because I I don't feel part of this community, you know. Um, These people are different to me, you know. I've heard a lot of um, people describe um, climate change activists as hippies, you know, for example. And what what was it like when you met those people? It was scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary. I, I reverted into a child. Um, it was like my first day at school and I was scared to, to go and speak to people. Yeah, you um, were the new kid on the block. Yeah, the and day. I felt like even what I was wearing yeah. was very different to what they wore. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, will I be this obvious outsider to them? Yeah. Um, do I look too corporate, for example? Or, you know... Do I look like the newbie? Um, 
But I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. And I would do it again. Mm. I feel more comfortable to do it again. And I think that's like anything, right? Once you step outside, once you lean in, once you, you know, challenge yourself in that area, it becomes less scary. Mm, definitely. And what about for you, Charlie? Is there anything you've noticed? Uh, well, I think, so I probably have a slightly different experience now, but to, to what I had before, because this has almost become my full-time job. And so I take a huge sense of purpose from this. But I have done a lot of thinking about... Um, how to how to overcome some of that imposter stuff how to manage uh grief i've kind of started to create a bit of a toolbox for myself of what do i need to stay resilient and so it's you know oh well okay now's the time to take a break for example um but also because i'm because i used to work in leadership coaching it's really important to me that people model what they want in the world mm. and so in a way being able to say i'm not an expert part of the motivation for doing that is to model that so other people can say oh I don't need to be an expert and that's quite a good way of sidestepping my own fears mm. oh, I'm not doing it for me I'm doing it for other people so they can see it's okay not to be an expert um there's all these kind of clever mind tricks you can play with yourself yeah. but I do I, de- I definitely do I think we have to recognize that climate grief is not a one and done and that it comes and it goes and that it's an expression of love for mm. the planet I feel a connection to the environment now that I never felt before. And I grew up in the countryside and I spent my childhood pretty much in the fields. And yet I feel a, a, a kinship is the best word with nature that I'm surprised to feel. Mm-hmm. That when I tell my friends about, they look at me like I'm absolutely bonkers. I also um, get those looks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think, my relationship to it's changed too. So what I'm noticing is that I think there's there's stages of connection to this. I think there's a an emotion, an, an intellectual connection that we make, where we say, oh yes, that's something to be worried about. And we talk about it, and we're very, you know, we maybe start to make changes in our lives. Then there's a level of emotional connection where we're motivated to act because we feel we're acting on behalf of others and Mm. and I started my career in the humanitarian sector and I think that was probably there for me then which is it's not fair that there's inequality in the world I want to level the playing field but if I was honest with myself at no point did I think I was doing that for my benefit Mm. and the next level up of emotional connection connection, if you like is realising oh this is my survival I'm fighting for this isn't just other people I'm doing this for as an altruistic act mm. and that I think is when climate grief can really get you because then you start to realise and I think probably early on in my journey I remember um, uh, reading what became The Uninhabitable Earth um, David Wallace Wells wrote a long form article in the New York magazine someone emailed it to me and I took it on holiday which was not a clever thing to do <laughs> and I read I only read the first couple of pages of it um, and I sat on a beach and I had this overwhelming feeling of being a refugee. And I'd never felt that way before. And I lived for seven years in Sierra Leone. And I, so I'd met a lot of people who'd been refugees. Mm. And I'd always felt completely separate from their experience. I could never, I could empathize with it, but I could never identify with it as an experience. And here I was on a beach in Dorset, feeling like I might not have a home. Mm. And that, that we might not have a home. And as British people, I think that's really, a, alien concept mm. and so that that was the floor just fell away basically at that point and I couldn't read the rest of the article and interestingly I read the rest of it recently I dug it out and read it and it felt completely um, uh, neutral it had no charge because I'd found all that stuff out um, but I think like Amanda I don't read 
I don't I don't read much media at all on this anymore. Mm. And I found myself saying to a client the other day, you know, those of us that know the building's on fire can stop reading the fire reports. Uh, because actually, what are we doing? We're just almost feeding off it sometimes. Yeah. And it's not feeding a truly empowered place in us. It's feeding a sort of disempowered place that, that does a good job of sounding mm-hmm. like power. It's but that just is about lording it yeah. over others a little mm-hmm. bit. So I think, you know, for me, I, I probably read... I read a lot of positive news about the, the good stuff that's happening and often that's individuals and communities doing things um, to remind myself that there are lots of good things. Mm-hmm. Um, just after the, the, the Amazon fires were, promote, were, were um, uh, publicised in the news, I had a, happened to have a call with someone who is a country director for an NGO in South America and I said, how do you guys feel? And so that was a really nice way of connecting with someone on it and to hear her say that the people of Lima were outside the Brazilian embassy made me feel mm-hmm. less alone in it that mm-hmm. oh that, you know everyone's doing something about this mm-hmm. and I think sometimes that is the emotion that can get me by the throat which is I've got to do everything mm-hmm. and yeah. no one else is doing anything and so that's when I probably reach for channels where I can talk to people who are also doing something because yeah. clearly I'm not the, we're not the only ones you know there's oh, millions no. of people acting on this and that connection can kind of perhaps say in some way that feeling of grief for the environment as well because it's like actually there is more than just me you know out there doing something about it as well you know I think of my own kind of response when I think about climate change and certainly I've noticed that as my journey of my mental health has gone on um, my connection to the environment has really really increased I think you know, to kind of psychoanalyze myself. I think once I kind of stopped being so absorbed with like the pain of my own small world, I could actually connect with something greater that was around me as well. And, you know, I've noticed that, yeah, walking in like nature and spending time outdoors has become a huge part of my recovery and how I continue to look after myself and, you know, just getting a much wider sense of, you know, it's not just my little world (laughs) that matters in the universe. There's something much greater that I believe that we're all connected to. But yeah, I noticed as well with the Amazon fires, I just felt like such a sense of like, not hopelessness, but just sort of like, oh my God, like, how is this happening? Just mm. this sheer sort of shock. And yeah, now you're saying, and you mentioned that word grief, I think that's what it was, you know, that sense of just sadness and like disbelief almost at the pain of like what's happening. Um, but yeah, I've really noticed as well that it feels like it's so much more in the news and people are taking so much more notice yeah. and there's so much more action being done. Um, and why do you think that's happened now? What do you think's made it such a, you know, a widespread known issue? Well, I mean, the easy answer, there's probably a really complex answer. I think the easy answer is Extinction Rebellion and the climate strike movement. Mm -hmm. They have completely changed the discourse this year. When we started um, in December last year, uh, you know, we we were still asking ourselves like is this having an agenda mm. is it okay to talk mm. to people about this and we we knew from the the research from the the market research that 85 percent of people or something had had a concern about climate change so we felt that there was probably a a, a feeling in the the public that it was i want to but i don't know how mm. um but it was still a bit of a hunch and then this year it you know we we haven't we haven't had to look for people they've come to us and I think mm. that's got to be a result of the fact that Extinction Rebellion have raised the story and have really, got, I mean, they've gone after so many different industries to get them to speak up. And they've created the Climate Declaration um, as a 
as a as an intention, yeah. which not only the British government has signed, but you know my my council in Oxford, Oxford County Council, has declared a climate emergency along mm. with something like 170 other councils That's now. Amazing. That wouldn't have happened without Extinction Rebellion, I think. Yeah. And then the other piece, though, I think that we can't miss because Extinction Rebellion can be quite divisive. Um, I don't think it, I almost don't think it intends to be, but I take exactly what you mean. I'm not a member of it, so I don't have a. Yeah, a, I think it's got. I don't know. I'm looking for the outside. I feel like it's got such a. You think of it as like stereotypically like perhaps the hippie movement. You know, a certain type of yeah. person. If you were to judge it, you know, goes to things like that as well. So I think obviously I'm sure that's like not their intention, and they'd love anyone and everyone to come along and get involved. But I think from the outside, it can feel like oh, that's like a a subculture a small mm. pocket of the world that perhaps isn't meant for me and you know mm. how do I get in there so I wonder if that's perhaps why it can feel a little bit divisive it's interesting that one actually because I mean I see colleagues of ours in the coaching industry who are older than us more mm. senior than us who have become real rebels through Extinction cool. Rebellion yeah. and I sat next to, the only meeting I ever went to in Oxford I sat next to a man in a three-piece tweed suit who told me he was a senior manager in the NHS and mm had previously been a nurse and he said when I was a nurse I couldn't get arrested I'd have lost my job but now I'll get arrested <laughs> he was 65 yeah. so you know it was surprising I think there's there's more in there than we maybe see maybe the media portrays because maybe yes. the media is looking for the hippies if you like yeah but but the other piece that I think has really shifted everything is the climate strike movement and Greta Thunberg mm. because she is so unassailable uh, no matter how, how many people would like to assail her she, because she's a child uh, because she has autism, mm. um, because she really models the behaviour. Mm. I mean, she's said, why are climate scientists getting on planes? Yeah. And it's it's a good uh, challenge. Mm. Um, and so she's uh, she's sailing across, or she's on her way back now, I think, from New York. Yeah, I think something like that. I, I follow her on Twitter, actually, as yeah. well, and I quite enjoy seeing what she's up to yeah. as well. But, yeah, she really... Yeah walks yeah. the talk that yeah. yeah she thinks is the best way to role model it I even um I read um the September issue of Vogue which was edited by Meghan Markle and it had sort of like remarkable women sort of forces for change I think it was called um and Greta Thunberg was in it she was one of the people featured and she refused to fly to New York for her, the fashion photo shoot for it and she actually got Peter Lindbergh I think somehow they did it over like Skype or something I don't know how it worked but he sort of directed it over yeah, the camera. But even that little piece of information, I was like, wow, like she's yeah. really role modelling yeah. it. And she, in a weird way, refuses to be in community. Um, well, she's in very strong community with the climate strike. But one thing I notice about when you're in community is that you try to build consensus and be nice to each other. Mm. And what's interesting about Greta Thunberg is she'll stand up at the UN and she will just go for the jugular. Mm. And she won't. And she's even said, I don't need to be liked. I don't need mm. you to like me. Yeah. I need you to act. Yes. And I think that's different. And that's sort of that refreshing voice I mean I, I coach people who work in sustainability who've been in this industry a really long time and, and her voice has made them stand back and say have I been pussyfooting around in my career mm. should I have mm. been pushing these companies more uh, which is difficult when you're a consultant to them so it's really interesting that that people who have lots of knowledge in this sector are also being challenged to change their engagement as a result of new people and, and the other great thing about Greta is she hasn't um, she, she hasn't responded to the imposter syndrome she may well have felt herself mm -hmm. she just said well someone's got to do something so I will so maybe just because we've got some good role models out there for like what you can do about climate change maybe that's making us pay attention a little I, more yeah I think there's also something different going on and has been going on for I don't know how many years but it feels like there's a wave of change on a different level um, dare I say it on a spiritual conscious level that mm -hmm. people are starting to question why must it be this way you know we are you know whether you look at 
women in power, Me Too, or all these different kind of campaigns that we've seen over the last five to ten years. It's just there is a build, a slow build up, and you know, and then we have obviously Greta Thunberg, Parents for Future, Kids for Future, Climate Strike, you know, all of these things are adding to this momentum that we see. And um, definitely with people that I coach, it's, you know, they want more from their lives. Mm. They're questioning more. Why does it have to be the, this way? Why must I work this way? Why must I get paid this way? What my, Why must I live like this? Mm. So, you know, there is, for me, definitely, has been a rise in consciousness. Yeah. And we continue to see that with, you know, the younger generations coming up. You know, there's more demands being made. Mm. I think there's a huge amount of anxiety out there when you talk to people on the street. Mm. They may not name climate change, but they'll name existential threats like it, like mm. political polarisation, um, like Brexit, but, but like what that means. I was in France last week and there were signs up for Frexit, essentially. Mm. And that really shook us because we thought, wow, what is the ripple effect of this? Mm. And you find yourself sitting on the sofa at night talking to your par- your partner and saying, I certainly do with my husband, and saying, you know, what do we do? How do we respond? Um, but I, um, I think the flip of that is there's a huge win-win available here. We know that if we went to a four-day week, we would reduce carbon mm. um, because people would have more free time, so they would use it in less, in less carbon-intensive ways. They'd do more in their community. Whereas right now our time is so stretched that we actually end up doing higher carbon things because mm. they're quicker. It's just get it done. Whereas yeah. if we had more time, but who wouldn't like a four-day week? Exactly. You know, so I think there's there's lots of opportunities to fix really big structural issues mm. in service of fixing this, if you like, or addressing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the sort of I, that's where I go to when I get sort of stuck in. Christ, what's happening to the world? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking about something you said about you as well about um, you know the fact of this like consciousness raising and people perhaps examining their lives you know in all sorts of different ways yeah. and that being twinned almost with our raising awareness of um, climate change and the issues around it. Um, but do you think this is affecting people subconsciously as well? This sort of like underlying threat of climate change. For sure, for sure. I think as a society, we're all living with low-level anxiety and it's become our norm. Um, And I, you know, if I look at my own life, um, subconsciously, like, how it was affecting me, definitely when I was ill, Mm. um, I just, I needed, I needed to be more in nature. I needed to go into silence and by that I mean my life was just going at such a fast pace. Mm. Um, I was on autopilot and I couldn't see what was happening. My body was screaming stop. And so for me there's a real reflection of when we um, you know, look at ourselves and our kind of inner, if we want to call it our inner ecosystem, you know, how is that reflective? Mm in our planet like how is that reflecting outwards in our outward ecosystem and how are the two matching up like for me you know our worries about money our worries about you know 
housing, our worries about food, our, you know, the list could go on. It's all reflective. Um, it's, it's all causing some level of anxiety. Mm. And then let's look outwards at what's happening in our society on a societal basis with nature and with the planet as a whole. Yeah, yeah I think there's a huge link between inner life crisis and outer life crisis. Mm. And that low-level hum of cognitive mm. dissonance, uh, which drives us into easy ways to make ourselves feel better, which often means consumption. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, there's the win-win that we could actually really start to heal ourselves. Mm. Um, I heard this week from a, a clinical psychologist who is now seeing people in his private, co his private um, psychological practice, his therapy practice, who have climate anxiety, and that's why they're coming. And that really surprised me. Mm, um, yeah. I'm not sure why it surprised me, given the people that come to <laughs> coaching. But every time someone pays to address something like this in themselves, that says to me that they feel a real personal stake in it. Mm. And um, until recently, I don't think we saw that. I think, I think we wrestled with what do we do in this space and do we have to do it for free because would anybody even pay for this? Mm. Mm. Um, because do they really feel that this is a have-to-have have, or do they think it's a nice-to-have? Mm. And I think this year it's it's starting to change it to this is a have-to-have have for a lot of people. Yeah. Whether it's coaching or it's therapy or it's something else, there is starting to be a recognition that that this low-level white noise has started to get a lot louder and they have to do yeah. something about it. Definitely. I think as well, it's, you know, whatever, definitely in my practice and in my sanctus work, whatever issue or topic is coming into play, largely what it, I find largely underneath that, there's this real sense of disconnect. Mm. This real sense of disconnect from myself, from myself and others, or from myself and planet. And so that runs through so you know for me I'm sometimes you know how do we talk about climate change with people that may not be interested or who may not know so much it's like it's about finding their access point you know for me it was my health it had nothing to do dare I say it you know I love this planet but it had nothing to do so much with what was going on on a bigger, bigger scale with climate change. It had to do with the toxicity in my body, how my body was performing, the prospect, was I gonna live or was I gonna die? So it was really about that being my access point. And it's like other people will have their access points. Mm -hmm. You know, it won't be immediately obvious to us all that you're concerned about climate change. But you may be concerned about the planet and your connection to it or your connection to um, other human beings. You know, existence is relational, mm. you know. Definitely. And I was going to ask as well about, um, I was starting to think about people, you know, who perhaps, even if they are being affected by it subconsciously, if, you know, they're like climate change, not bothered, not for mm. me to work on. Um, yeah, kind of how would you respond to that i think for me i probably not push so much the agenda of climate change what i'd be willing to enter into is a conversation about what is important to them mm. you know what are the issues that they're grappling with they're struggling with 
what is um, concerning them in their daily lives. And then really understanding, again, that access point. You know, how, how is it aligned to the planet and where we are? Um, what are their values? What are they standing for in life? And go through that route. Because I think what that does is it makes people feel heard, it makes them feel seen, it makes them feel important, and it makes them feel understood and listened to. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you can make the connection. It's quite easy to make the connection a lot of the time as a coach, I find anyway. Um, I don't know what you think, yeah. Charlie. I, mean, I had a, a real car crash of a conversation last year with my builder. So we did some building work and he was in and out of our house a lot and I made him a cup of tea in this really laborious way with loose tea and this tea ball. And he was like, why don't you have any tea bags? And I said, oh, you know, they've got plastic in them. And he basically said, oh, I couldn't give a crap about that, you know. So, you know, what does it matter? Da, 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 da. And I felt completely like complete failure given what we, we say mm-hmm. to people we use a teaching approach, a, a coaching <laughs> approach, don't use a telling approach. And I was like, but plastic, you know, I did absolutely everything wrong. And the next day I said to him, but hang on a minute, you're, you like fishing, aren't you worried about plastic in the water? And he, he said, yes, I'm really worried. I just don't think that the small amounts in tea bags, you know, that's just, mm. he just had a, he had some values around, you know, mm. proportionality or something, um, impact, I guess. And so he, we ended up having a conversation about the amount of plastic in building waste, because there's tons. I mean, my back garden was full of ripped up cement bags that when I was a kid were, were paper and are now apparently made of plastic. And he, he said, I think we're absolutely doing the wrong thing, the building trade, and we should do something mm. about it. So it was interesting that there was a point at which he did care, mm. but I just picked the wrong place. And I could have made up a story that he just, you know, was uncaring and unthoughtful, yeah. and, you know, and actually it was completely not the case. Yeah. So I think there's something about, about that. We've, yeah, got, to, we've got to find people's stake. Basically. I have a similar story with my housemate, you know, um, who I kind of gauge, um, you know how you get those brown bins in some, like, uh, um, counties or councils oh yeah and you compost your your like natural waste like your peelings and your your veg and stuff and he wasn't doing that and he had a real aversion to it and I immediately went into this anger and frustration with him because I was like we've got to do this um and what I realized um and this went on for weeks and months and then finally I just took it from a dig different angle I was like you know and I asked the most important question which I'd failed to ask previously which what is it about the system that you don't like like what is it about composting that you don't like and he was like I never said I didn't like composting I'm all up for composting but what I don't want is this bucket in the kitchen like like festering and you know especially during the summer heat and what I realized was like, oh, okay, so this person is on board, but they just want the system to provide a different mm-hmm. way of doing it and doing it e- with ease. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting yeah. the conversations that come about. Definitely. It's important for us not to judge is what I'm hearing as well, yes. not yeah. to assume that because someone's like, oh, you know, sorry, that tea bag sounds like too much effort. That doesn't mean that they completely don't care about the environment, mm-hmm. but just that everyone's got an access point and what I'm taking away from this today as well is we're kind of inseparable from our environment in some way or another so but there will always be a place where we connect back to that which is kind of greater than us you know for your builder it was fishing I would imagine if you know 
you guys are talking about cleaning up the plastic in the local river or something he'd probably been yeah. all for it out there with his litter picker and yeah, yeah for your housemate yeah. it wasn't the composting itself that was the issue but actually just the convenience and the yeah. cleanliness in the house as yeah. well so perhaps if we do find ourselves talking to someone yeah who doesn't care maybe invite them or just get into that conversation sounds yeah, important absolutely. to yeah. figure out what might be there as well a lot of what we're doing is um training people in coaching skills so that they can have mm. better conversations they can be in better relationship with other people and of course the secondary um benefit is that during those trainings they coach them so they get coached themselves so mm. they get to be in better relationship with themselves um and one of the, the the modules we have is about resistance and it we literally teach people um sort of coaching 101 which is don't talk about the topic get down to the level of values mm. And I, I ran a workshop with um, with a council that have declared a climate emergency and asked one of their staff to come up in front of the room and I coached them to show people how quickly you could do it. And in five minutes, you know, she stood up and she said, um, I disagree with um, with eco-friendly housing. And you could feel the room go, wow. You know? <laughs> and she said, uh, because, because I really feel passionate about affordable housing and I'm worried we're going to mm. lose something very important in this rush to eco that will end up being very expensive and a lot of people will be shut out from that mm. and so we so I said okay I, I think you've got a value here of fairness have you and she said yes like that like really yes okay well what else then is there you know what if you could have fairness built into eco housing would you be up for it and she said mm, well I'd really want to know that it was deliverable and so you know okay so it's tangibility of value yes and uh, and then the other thing was something similar to deliverability. And I said, okay, so if you could have fairness, tangibility, and, and you know, um, deliverability, would you be on board? She was like, absolutely, no problem. So there we go. And it was five mm. minutes. And what was interesting was I said to the audience afterwards, okay, so what did you see me doing so you can now go and do it yourselves? And this woman put her hand up and she said, can I ask, can I say something else? She said, um, you know, I've worked with this lady for a long time and we've had this butting up against each other conversation and I had no idea that that was why you know and you think yeah. wow and actually I don't think she knew either no. so actually if we can teach people to just start to recognise why you know why do I have a problem with composting mm. because your flatmate may have actually at some level thought I do have a problem with composting <laughs> you know because I have a problem with that way of doing yeah, it yeah exactly so if we can get below this level of the topic down to the things that we're trying to protect because when we when we resist we're basically trying to protect something mm. we're not just being a stubborn whatever you know mm. we we really want to protect something so if we can find out what that thing is we're protecting then we can do something about it and when we act from that place it feels amazing so then we keep acting yeah and so we have to find places that we can act that feel really really good yeah. otherwise they won't stick they won't it sounds stick. like yeah <laughs> otherwise I'm, i imagine you know if we're just sort of told right that's it everyone's you know got your vegetables from your organic market which is six miles away from your house you have to bring your own carry bags and all that kind of stuff whereas actually that probably wouldn't work because it wouldn't stick and people would feel quite resentful maybe of the yeah. changes they're having to make for the environment but it sounds like there's always a way to kind of match both our kind of wants and needs and our values with um you know the bigger picture of making a change because really i've got a suspicion that on some level everybody cares about this i think there's something innately human with us that like 
once you unpeel all those layers or get to the real root of it, we all do care and we all want to see this planet sustain and carry on. I think it's an instinctual drive. If you think of our species, you know, we're, dri- we're driven to continue it on as well. But actually what we need to get to the bottom of is the things that are getting the way and finding a way that works for you um, to support the environment, which again is really twinned with how we talk about mental health at Sanctus. It's all about finding what works for you. It's not, we never ever, you know, prescribe, you have to meditate for 20 minutes of the day. You know, you all have to journal, you all have to exercise and stuff like that because it just doesn't work for people forcing those things. But what does work is giving people the space to try whatever feels natural to them and just letting them know, you know, whatever it is that works, that's okay if it's, you know, only a 10 minute walk in the morning or if it's, you know, something that's not anything to write home about or Instagram worthy, if it makes you feel better, it's still worth doing, so keep it up as well. Um, I wanted to ask you guys a final question about, um, you know, what tips you could offer um, for people who are out there listening who are wanting to do something or kind of to make um, small changes maybe as well. Um, Or even if we're thinking about if somebody does have climate anxiety who's listening to this, Mm. um, what sort of things could you suggest they might think about? If you're thinking about getting into action, starting local Mm -hmm. and starting small. Because we tend to kind of go into that place of um, shame and guilt that we've spoken about a lot today when we have um, we want to get on board on the big ideas I definitely am a person that has a thousand ideas every day and Mm. I'm just like and that's sometimes what stops me from getting into action because I'm like oh what's the best idea and actually when I just step into something try something and usually it's when I try something like local and small that's easy and when I um, talk about it with other people that are close to me um, and get hints and tips from them, because quite often there are people around us that are doing stuff that we know nothing about. Mm. So it's actually maybe the first point of action is just to have a conversation. you know, And that can be good enough. Mm. That is action on climate change. Because there's a large part of our society that you know, doesn't talk about this yet. Well, it talks about it in a really negative way and yeah. a really disempowered way. Yeah. You know, people should do something is what I hear a lot. You know, which mm. people? You know, yeah. so that is a, that, you know, when I hear irresponsibility, the other side of the coin for that is disempowerment. So, you know, we've done enough work with boards of directors who will tell you all the reasons it's not their job to do something. And what you realise is they just feel really disempowered. They don't know how. So the starting point is to help people feel empowered again. And then they'll start to take responsibility. Mm. So I think having conversations, even if you don't do something about climate change, be something. Mm. And that being mm. something is be yeah. compassionate, be non-judgmental. And it's probably the same thing in mental health. You know, even if you're not actively campaigning or or doing something, you can be responding to other people in your workplace, in your community, in a way that makes them feel safe and, and their their situation feel normal. And it's the same here, I think. We can open up conversations mm. about this non-judgmentally. And also we can tell people what we're doing. Because I've met a lot of environmentalists who have said, you know, for years I've been I've been a vegan, I've only had one child, I've done all this stuff, and it hasn't worked. Mm. And partly mm. it hasn't worked because I never told anyone why. Because I feared that they'd think I was judging them because they had three kids. And actually that was the wrong strategy. There was a way to tell people without it seeming judgmental. And I think it, the more, it, again, it normalises, it's exactly the same thing. You know, the more celebrities have come out and said, 
I've had suicidal thoughts or I've felt that I've had depression or, or whatever, the more that has normalized mental illness in society. Mm. And similarly, you know, we can, the more yeah. people say, I'm really worried about the climate and I'm doing this about it, or I'm struggling to work out what to do, mm. the more that it becomes a normal part of conversation to say, yeah, what can we do? Which is actually quite an empowering thing to think, because, you know, I'm imagining, I can think of all sort of typical things people say about having an impact on climate change, like, you know, have a reusable cup, you know, shop mm. locally, um, yeah, walk more, take the bus less, don't do long haul travel. But actually, it sounds like it can be just as impactful just to be different a little bit as well and to actually be willing to talk about it and willing to kind of role model a bit of compassion and awareness of the environment around you. I mean, you're exactly right when we talk about mental health. One of the biggest things I think anybody can do is just be kind and to, you know, recognise that everybody is going through some version of their own, um, you know, struggles or life story as well and to be compassionate for that can actually have such a ripple effect and it sounds like it's the same for climate change that we don't always need to be in action and doing mode but also just by being willing to talk about it can make a bit of a change. For sure, and I think anyone that is doing a lot Mm. and in eco-anxiety, you know, dare I say it, you know, step away from the doing, Mm. like maybe even stop, okay, and just, you know, take yourself back into a place of nature. You know, we say get out, take a walk or Mm. go into nature to, to kind of feel that peaceful energy and just to go back into your body rather than to be so caught up in the headspace and you know where the the thoughts are spiraling you're judging yourself that the self-critic is on overload you know try to get back into your body and sometimes Mm. the best places to do that are in nature yeah definitely Mm. thank you so much for your time today guys i really really appreciate it thank you